0: We trust that the Lord Jesus will speak to us this morning in tones that we can recognize and understand and apply in our lives. We'd like to look at a verse, a portion of a verse in the Song of Solomon. Turn with me there, please. Song of Solomon is just after Ecclesiastes, which is just after Proverbs. The Song of Solomon is um, rather unique. It is unique in its um, subject matter. It is um, the love between a husband and a wife. Very, very beautiful. It's also a picture of the love of God for Israel. And the ancient rabbis taught both meanings of of the Song of Solomon. For believers, the song is also a picture of Christ's love for his church. And it's a picture, too, of the love of Jesus for you individually and your love for Him individually. It's the fourth meaning of the book that we want to consider this morning, the love of the believer for His Savior, for the lover of His soul. And to do that, we're going to look at Song of Solomon 5.16. His mouth is most sweet. Yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. We'll take as our text simply the four words, he is altogether lovely. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, another translation says he is altogether desirable. or in the modern terms, he is totally desirable. The uh, preacher C.H. Spurgeon, addressing this verse said, looking at my text, I feel much humbling of spirit and I hesitated to preach on it. For I said in my heart, it is high, I cannot attain unto it. If I cannot grasp the ocean in my span, yet may I bathe therein with sweet content. If I cannot describe the king and his beauty, yet I may gaze upon him. Since the old proverb said a prince, I'm sorry, a beggar may look at a prince. Better to have a glimpse of Jesus than to see all the glory of the earth, all the days of our life. If we fail on this subject, we will do better than if we succeeded upon another So we will pluck up courage, seek divine help, and draw near to this wondrous text with our shoes from off our feet, like Moses when he saw the bush aglow with God. Let's pray. You, Lord Jesus, are captor of our hearts. You are altogether lovely. We ask you to... Open your word to us this morning and show that loveliness afresh that we may draw closer to you. For those who don't know you, that they might draw to you. We, um, we thank you for your presence here with us. Lovely Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. I'm guessing that each one of us has a person in his lifetime who... Um, you you felt especially drawn toward. It was um, because of their loveliness of character, their generosity, their humility, their forgiving spirit. It's it's natural for us to want to spend more time with that person, not to put demands on his time, but just because we want to watch the person in action, we want to be a part of, of what that person is doing In my lifetime, I've been privileged to have several who have so attracted me by their personal magnetism, their inward beauty. One dear older brother invited um, young men um, by twos and threes to join him on short vacations, a drive up the coast, Um, a visit to a local assembly to um, accompany him on ministry. And these were some of the most memorable times of my life as a new believer to accompany this dear saint. He'd, uh, he'd ask me if I wanted to accompany him and I'd figure out how on my schedule I'd, I'd make that time for him because I so enjoyed his, um, the sweetness of his fellowship and the um, the character that he, that he showed. In time, I was exposed to the faults of these dear people, and I wished that I had not, um, it was nothing scandalous, nothing shocking, but I wished that I had maintained that pristine look at this person and, and, uh, and uh, seen no faults, no, no defects. We don't have that danger this morning. There's no no uh, risk of uncovering a fault or defect in the Lord Jesus Christ. Spurgeon went further, saying, "He that is the Lord Jesus is not as the herb which flowers only at one season, or as the tree which loses its leaves in winter, or as the moon which waxes and wanes, or as the sea which ebbs and flows, in every condition." at every time he is altogether lovely. This morning we'll consider the desirability, the total desirability of the Lord Jesus by looking at points of his character. The first we'll look at is his um, his humanness. It's not the same as his humanity. The Lord Jesus is fully God and fully human but he's more than just a perfect human. He is perfectly human. By that, I mean that he, Jesus so naturally and so simply enters into our 21st century lives that it's as if he were reared down the street from us. He's that natural. Martha scolded Jesus for not telling her sister, Mary, to come away from his feet and and help with uh, things in the kitchen. The Apostle John saw Jesus raise the dead, calm the storm, cast out demons, talk with Elijah and Moses on the mount. And yet he did not hesitate to lean on Jesus' breast. Wouldn't it be scary to associate with someone who was perfect all the time in his speech, in his actions, in his thoughts? But Jesus was friendly. He was disarming in his character. We read of Philip introducing Nathaniel to the Lord Jesus and he said, Come, come, we have found the Christ. Nathanael's response was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a problem. Nathanael was a bigot, and uh, he looked down on people from Nazareth. But Jesus disarmed his bias and won him as a disciple. As, um, as he saw Nathanael coming, he, uh, he greeted him, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Nathanael said, How is it that you know me? And Jesus said, I saw you uh, before under the tree. Jesus was friendly. He was approachable. He is in the flesh that wisdom that is from above, that is easy to be entreated. He's easy to approach, easy to ask questions. He is humble. Not just his humanness that draws us to him, but his humility. Think on this. Jesus Christ is the only one who could choose where he'd be born. And he chose a stable in a little town, obscure town, and had for his first crib an animal trough. His parents also he chose, poor peasants, Imagine choosing what you would look like in your earthly body. Would you have chosen the rugged handsomeness and towering stature of, Sam, of uh, King Saul? Would you have chosen the radiance of um, Queen Esther? Isaiah said. He has no form or comeliness. That is, he has no, um, no facial uh, handsomeness, no uh, honor, no glory in his, um, in his appearance. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Superficially, by outward appearance, the Lord Jesus was plain. We could not distinguish him from others. What lowliness of self-opinion. I love the Lord Jesus for His decisiveness. Because of the merchandisers and money changers in the temple, Jesus made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. What a scene. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Jesus told the reluctant disciple, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. To the wealthy young ruler, he said, Go your way and sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. For Jesus, there was no middle ground, no wavering. He's manly. He's courageous, not paralyzed by analyzing situations. He expects his disciples to be so. Jesus is the ultimate leader, the captain. I love him for his tenderness, his gentleness. The woman at the well of Sychar previously had five husbands. She was not doing well. The man with whom she lived was not her husband. The Lord could have blasted her. He didn't. Instead, he asked her for a drink of water. He reasoned with her. He drew her out. He offered her living water and she became the town's evangelist. The woman caught in adultery. The law of Moses commanded that she should be stoned. The Lord Jesus showed her mercy instead. Jesus accepted the costly fragrant oil that his worshiper poured on his head. It was awkward. Jesus received it, acknowledging that she did so for his burial. She, for one, understood his impending death, and he commended her for it. He made sure that Matthew included her act in his gospel record so that wherever his gospel was preached, her act would be recognized. In a time when conquerors returned victorious and marched through their home city, they would have a, uh, a chief captive as their trophy. The Lord Jesus re-entered glory with the soul of a prisoner at his side, the soul of a, a thief. He was gentle. Jesus rebuked Peter with a look in Luke 22. I'd like to turn there, please. Luke 22. Jesus had predicted Peter's betrayal, his uh, denial, rather, in verse 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. It was in the pre-dawn hours that um, Jesus was uh, led after he was arrested to the house of Caiaphas, the the high priest. Matthew adds to the record that the the elders were there, the the chief priests and the, the council. The council was made up of 70 people. Caiaphas had a big house, and so you can guess that it was crowded. Peter followed, but at a distance. He was in the courtyard outside. No doubt there were servants gathered there as well, another crowd. He seated himself next to the fire with those who gathered. Verse 56, and a servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, this man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, woman, I do not know him. Jesus had predicted Peter's denial. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow is with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. The rooster crowed. Almost on cue. Peter looked through the courtyard into Pilate's house, into Caiaphas's house. To the Lord Jesus. Dramatically, the Lord Jesus turned and his eyes met Peter. Through all the the injustice, through all the noise, all the confusion of that gathering, their eyes met. And Jesus communicated the um, remembrance of these thoughts to Peter. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In the original it says that the look Jesus gave was a penetrating gaze. He looked right into Peter. Peter went out and wept bitterly. What was the look that Jesus gave Peter? Was it one of anger? No. One of sadness? One of disappointment? Was it one of I told you so? No. There was a young man one day, um, expelled from a prestigious private school in the Bay Area. His parents had, had worked hard to get him into that school. And uh, due to his um, continued misconduct, he was, um, he was expelled. His dad came into his bedroom that night and knelt down by his bed, and he wept. And he said, son, I wanted so much better for you. I believe that's the look that Jesus gave Peter. Peter, I wanted so much better for you. And Peter went out and wept. The Lord had warned Peter, Satan has asked for you. He wants to sift you like wheat But he told Peter that he had prayed for him, that his faith would not fail. Jesus looked ahead to the time of Peter's restoration, that he might strengthen his brethren. Poet James Montgomery asked for this corrective look from the Lord Jesus when needed. He wrote, in the hour of trial, Jesus plead for me lest by base denial I depart from thee. When thou seest me waver with a look, recall. Nor, by, nor for fear nor favor suffer me to fall. I love the Lord Jesus for his tender handling of his erring sheep. The Lord Jesus shows his loveliness too and his compassion for the outcast. A leper came to him and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Why did the Lord Jesus touch the leper? I believe that um, this leper had been out of touch with humanity for a long time. He'd been out of uh, human companionship. He'd, he'd lost that, um, uh, that intimacy, that companionship of, of his fellows. And so in healing him, uh, the Lord had, had commanded the healing of, of lepers in the past, but in healing this one, he, he welcomed him back into humanity. He put his hand on him. Welcome back. You're cleansed. There's a story of um, a woman in London who um, cared about the outcasts of, of London's society, and she went to the house of one. I don't know what um, what this woman's problem was, but uh, she was very sick and very poor, and her house was, was very bare, her, the room where she stayed. And so this dear older lady uh, came in, and she changed the bed linens, and she... Uh, cooked her meals, and, and she nursed her back to health. And um, she tried to introduce the Lord Jesus to her, and she said, the, uh, this, um, this outcast said, no, you're doing this just to get saved, just to be saved. You're doing it for good works. And so um, uh, finally, when she was back to health, the older woman said, you know, you're, you're healthy again. You're back on your feet. And I'm going, to, I'm going to leave you now. And she leaned down and she kissed the woman. It was that that won her to the Lord. It was the touch. It was the kiss. And I wonder if there are those here this morning who attribute their coming to the Lord for His touch, His, His kiss, His gentleness. I love Him for it. The Lord Jesus was compassionate not just for the outcasts, but also for his enemies. He cried um, cried out, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The Lord sends his Sunshine on the just and the unjust, he allows his rain to fall on his, uh, his enemies as well as his friends. He cares. He loves his, his enemies. And in fact, Jesus' anger toward the Pharisees was due in part to a compassion that he had for those the Pharisees oppressed. It was born out of, uh, out of compassion, his anger And it wasn't just for the enemies that he had compassion, but also for the unlovely. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10. There was a rich young ruler and he, He met Jesus on the road. He came running to him and knelt before him, and he said, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Mark chapter 10, verse 17. So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He wasn't that old, but here he is uh, claiming that he'd kept the law for, uh, for at least that amount of time. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. This young man was um, stuck on himself. He was proud. He was self-righteous. He was blind to his need. And Jesus loved him. Jesus loves the unlovely. How many of us would be here if he didn't? Jesus loves fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and such. The Apostle Paul told his Corinthian hearers, Were some of you? For when we were still without strength, in due time, <clears throat> Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves the unlovely, he has compassion, and I am drawn to him for that. A final character trait of the Lord Jesus that really draws me to Him is His self-forgetfulness, His selflessness, His others-mindedness. Our society is binging on self-gratification. We are saturated with self-interest. In my regular grocery store, which will remain unnamed for fear of uh, offending people here, Uh, there's an advertisement broadcast over and over again on the loud, on the the speakers here at blank, we make your shopping more convenient for you so that you have more time for yourself. It may not seem like a whole lot, but uh, it irked me, it rubbed me the wrong way. We're gonna make things convenient for you. We're gonna make your shopping experience quicker and easier so that you have more time. Not for others, not for family, not for needy, but for yourself. It was a master stroke of marketing. You come here to this store, we're gonna make it so you have more time for you. Jesus was others directed. I say was, and you know that I mean is. He was on the earth, others directed. He is today, others directed in glory. Paul wrote, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Atheist philosopher Karl Marx wrote in the 1840s, religion is the opiate of the masses. Religion is the opiate of the people. Opiate is a medicine prepared with opium that causes sleep and inactivity. Karl Marx thought religion made the, uh, the working class unproductive, and so he called it an opiate, something that makes you dull. What is the opiate of people today? It's the internet. It's professional sports, football, baseball, Basketball. It's surfing the web. It's it's video games. The world's quest for leisure, for amusement, for recreation seems to have overtaken the church. Americans watch on average three hours of TV a day. Christians pray on average. Minutes per day. Were there distractions in Jesus' day? Of course. What was Jesus' response to those distractions? Mark's gospel gives us a clue in Mark 3, 20 and 21. Then the multitude came together so that they could not so much as eat bread. That was Jesus and his disciples. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said, He is out of his mind. Jesus was so busy helping others that they didn't have time to eat. He wasn't flustered. He wasn't exasperated. He wasn't hurrying here to there. He was just pouring his life out for others. In doing this, his family thought he was insane. Jesus Christ was out of his mind for you. He so preferred your comfort and eternal welfare that he was willing to endure God's punishment in your place. Himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that you, through his poverty, might be rich. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Aren't you glad for the Lord Jesus' selflessness and not selfishness? If you do not know the Lord Jesus this morning, are you drawn to him? Do you feel like you'd like to to have a relationship, a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? It's simple. It's a matter of just acknowledging your need, agreeing with Jesus of your unfitness for heaven because of your, your sin and trusting in his finished work on Calvary for the safety of your soul. Will you trust him? Will you come to him? Don't you want to spend eternity with Jesus? We've looked this morning at the Lord Jesus in his humanness, his approachability, his friendliness, in his humility, His decisiveness, his gentleness, his compassion, his selflessness. To quote Bill MacDonald on this verse, let us aspire to have our to have our hearts captivated by Jesus, that they are filled to overflowing with love for Him. He is altogether lovely. Let's pray. What a Savior you are, Lord Jesus, to have compassion on the unlovely, on the your enemies, Lord, on the outcast. We thank you for your sterling um, character, for your perfection, and yet um, this friendliness with which you were willing to sit with tax collectors and sinners. You were willing to, to even associate with us to... Um, to be our Savior, to be, to be ours. And so we praise you this morning for um, your loveliness, your, your character. We pray for those who don't know you. We pray that um, they would see, that, um, that you wait for them as, uh, as we worshipped you this morning, that you are long-suffering, desiring them to not perish but, but have eternal life. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.